1: I'm Jim Stroud, and this is my podcast. The resume is dead. Long live the resume. Details after this. The Recruiting Life is a newsletter that gives a quirky view on the world of work and aspires to educate, entertain, and inspire with articles, comics, podcasts, videos, and more. It is produced on a weekly basis by yours truly, Jim Stroud, and is supported by readers like you. Topics in this newsletter include the future of work, current labor trends, the impact of AI on the recruitment industry, and more. Subscribe now and receive it every Monday in your email by going to jimstroud.beehive.com. That URL is jimstroud.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. A link is in the podcast description. Don't wait. Subscribe now. Operators are standing by. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do?
0: Hey, Jim. uh, Okay, who am I is the easy part of your question. I'm (laughs) Scott Morris. I'm CEO of a company called Propulsion AI. What do I do as a founder? Man, you know it just as well as I do. I do everything, man. There is no task I am above. There is nothing I'm not involved in. So my job is is the entire world, I guess. I don't know, at least within our company.
1: (laughs) Chief bottle washer. (laughs) True, true, true. (laughs) Right before uh, we started recording, we were talking about the return to office policy. And I was saying how uh, I feel sort of sorry for companies that pay in advance with so much office space. And now people are working at home and they're just like just hemorrhaging money. And then you were telling me something about Meta. What was that again?
0: Well, Meta just Meta. There was a news article that I read that Meta broke a lease for their office space in London, mm. and I'm I'm probably going to screw the number up, Jim. But like, I, it was like a hundred million dollars that they Ooh. that they paid to break this lease that they had for their for their space, and and I, and you know what I mean. I think that's fundamentally better. They they recognize that that we need flexibility, and they're trying to lean into that and not force everybody back to the office. Um, but you know.
1: Yeah. Do you think that's going to um, spark the trend? Because I know a lot of companies are trying to trying to get their workers back in the office. They're doing the hybrid thing, you know, work some at the office, work here at home, I mean, work at home and some at of the office. Uh, but I think workers aren't really going for it. I think workers are spoiled now. What, what do you think? I think,
0: look, I think there are a couple of factors that are playing like together. And, and in some cases they're opposing, right? Um, you know, on the one hand, the pandemic helped us to recognize that you don't have to be at home or, right. or correct that at work in order to get the job done a lot of the time. But what does have to happen, and I don't think we've turned this corner yet, is mm. that managers have to have a shift in mindset in order to make that work and and if you don't have as a, as a as a leader of people if you don't have the mindset that says i don't really care like how many hours that you're working and i don't really care where you're working those hours What i care about is the results which is what we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. uh, you know that, that it's it's almost a non starter now on the other side of that to give the opposing force i think people fundamentally want to belong and i think it's hard to you know to belong when you are sitting alone even with the best of the communication tools we have, so we're going to have to find a better, a better match. I don't think workers are rebelling against being in the office. I think a part of of each of us as human beings wants to be there, wants to be proximate with our with our colleagues, and I think we just have to evolve kind of the way we think about um, you know the activities that are involved when you when you go in and when you go you know home. And I don't think that's just necessarily counting days.
1: Speaking of um, evolution, so many things about the workplace is evolving. Um, <clears throat> I know that you have a, a, an opinion about job descriptions and and how they're dead. I <laughs> know uh, uh-huh. we need to move away from the traditional uh, job descriptions. Can you explain why you may think uh, or why you think traditional job descriptions are considered outdated in uh, today's workforce?
0: Well, let's let's start Jim with with the number of hours that any of us spend at work, and and I and I am starting here because the number is huge. Um, hmm. Andrew Neighbor, who's an industrial and org uh, psychologist, um, pinned the number at about ninety thousand hours that we spend at work over the course of a lifetime. It's about ten point wow. two years. Wow. And yeah, you know, I saw I saw an article in Huff Post in Australia that had upped that to about thirteen years. Uh, a guy that, that, um, named Andre Martin, who is another industrial and organizational psychologist, just wrote a book called Right Fit, Wrong Fit. Great book. Mm. And he, I think his number was 118,000 hours. My point is that by contrast, we only spend over a lifetime, about 368 days socializing with friends. And so, the, you know, it's a huge number of hours that we're spending at work. Now, mm-hmm. secondly, and back to my comment from a second ago about wanting to belong, um, an article in, in Forbes, and it's it's a little older, it's a 2021 article, but you know, the quote was: being surrounded by other human beings doesn't guarantee a sense of along of belonging. People want to identify as a member of a group, they want to have higher quality interactions that come from. That belonging. And I start with those two things because if you're going to invest between 90,000 and 118,000 hours in anything, you better feel like it means something. You better mm-hmm. feel like, like you are, you know, the act of doing that is helping you to belong. And a traditional job description doesn't do that. One, I think most traditional job descriptions are just a cop out. Most of us, myself included in the past, you just go to the web we like clip things together we we throw them together we throw you know it into an employee file or out on the web god forbid and pretend that it's a job posting and and we think that that is going to get people excited about going and spending 90 to one hundred and eighteen thousand hours on anything and it
1: doesn't you know and it's just so, a quick just a quick interjection there because when you said it, it reminded me of an experiment i did um where I looked at a uh, template for a job description, and I took out some of the language, and I did a search on Google to see how many other j- job descriptions had that were using that same template, and it was like uh, hundreds, if not thousands. So, yeah, amazing, isn't it? It is. It is.
0: It is. The key question that you got to answer mm. is, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah, that's what. That, that's what a really great job description should should Say and when you think about it, Jim, it's the first communication you have with anybody about this job. You're going to yep. put something out there, and if you're not leading with "Here's why," you're going to get excited about belonging to our company. You're you're missing the boat.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So you really so uh, job description should really be more employer brand specific or employer brand. Well, I think there. Are, no. No. Not. Not just that. Yes, but yes, and.
0: Yes, okay. it should be employer brand, but I think we've made a mistake. You know, the culture deck, I think, sort of illuminated, you know, the 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 brand over substance, you, you know, sort of fallacy. And I mm-hmm. think, yes, there's got to be a brand aspect, but really top quality people are going to get excited about challenges. They're going to get excited about ownership. They're going to get Mm -hmm. excited about the opportunity to do something. And and I think I can make that argument, I think, compellingly for frontline individual contributor roles as much as I can for management roles, if the manager's mindset in crafting that job description is is right. And so, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not just brand, it's brand, but it's also the company saying to the individual, I want you to come in and own a piece of what we're doing here.
1: It sounds like it's um, more of an outcome-oriented job description is what I think you're leaning towards uh, as 100%. opposed to traditional format. Explain a bit, a bit more about an outcome-oriented job description.
0: Well, I mean, the, the words kind of capture a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the job description, an outcome-oriented job description is going to focus on the specific results, the outcomes that are desired from that employee's efforts, rather than list, listing the tasks and duties. I mean, think about a standard sort of management job description, right? What is at the top of that responsibilities list? Manage a team of five. Who cares? What you really care about is what what is your leadership going to do? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you doing to make the situation different because you have those five people with you? And that, I think, is the simplest version of what's an outcome-oriented job description versus what's the traditional format. It emphasizes goals and objectives, rather than the what you're supposed to do.
1: So how do you deal? Well, how should HR leaders deal with managers who are maybe stuck in the same kind of mindset that job descriptions have to be a certain way? There are certain skills, and certain requirements, and they're not thinking uh, along the uh, more evolved way, I'll I'll say that's the right word, (laughs) of an outcome based job description. How do you get them? How do you get them uh, on board?
0: Gosh, there's like, uh, there's just a ton uh, in that question. It's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing is like, I, I don't know. I start from the standpoint that everybody wants to do this. It's just, they've got obstacles that are in their path. And when I say obstacles, like, let me do a quick recount, right? Getting getting your head around what a role does is not easy. It, it, it takes time yeah. and it's tedious. And you got to further, you've got to think about not just what is the role going to do, but you have to think about that in terms of what do i want the individual in that role to own i've got to think about how that fits into the strategy once i've done that i've got a write compelling copy that can go to the web the job description and job posting are not the same thing you and i both know that mm-hmm. but a lot of organizations don't seem to know that and most of us aren't great creative writers and then i've got to really translate all of my ideas into into a document that i can give to that employee and create clarity and and those are those are big obstacles so i think the first thing that we need to do is recognize those as obstacles we obviously you know we're in the tool creation business and you know we're creating a tool set that translates what is a lot of you know months in the worst cases Weeks mm-hmm. in the normal cases and, and at least a couple of days into the time of a coffee break. You know, um, our, our first tool that's being released does exactly this. It, it's a conversational AI tool that walks managers through the process. So I think that's one way, but advice that I have for HR professionals is don't make it a big program. You know, use an agile mindset, not a waterfall and start with a coalition of the willing. I have always I've I've been doing this for about 10 years, this being focusing on building outcome oriented job descriptions. And, you know, I've always looked for, you know, who are the people that are going to grab onto this easily, work with them and let them start to evangelize this within the company on my behalf rather than trying to have a big program. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that now, you know, especially in, in Propulsion AI's case, we're bringing tools to market that are making this really easy, I think is going to speed up that process for a lot of HR and talent acquisition professionals.
1: How do you measure the success of an outcome uh, uh, oriented job description versus traditional job description? Are you looking at is it the caliber of candidates or is it the volume or how do you qualify which is the more successful approach?
0: Look, I think, first of all, Jim, and I, I don't know where you come out on this. You've, mm. you've been in this business a very long time. Mm. I think volume is like a myth. Like, I don't want 300 candidates for a job. I want 10 of really good candidates. Sure. And so candidate quality. Yeah, I think, I think that's got to be a metric for this because if you do it right, your job posting, and I know this sounds so counterintuitive, your job posting should obviously attract in the right people but it should also scare the heck out of the wrong people. You don't want people that are not fundamentally ready to take on hard challenges to apply for your role because you're going to go blind on reading those resumes. So I think a lot of people feel great. You know, I got 300 applicants for this job, and I think that's a badge of like honor for Mm. some organizations. But human recruiters can't process that volume. And even with automation tools, it's nearly impossible. And, And you don't want to go blind reading those resumes. You want 10 really, really good ones. But beyond that, I mean, and I'll tell you a personal story. You know, I in my I hired a, a vice president of talent acquisition in my last role working for another company. And she came in and she said to me, Scott, I have never in my entire career, and this was a really accomplished individual. She said, mm-hmm. I've never felt so clear about what I was supposed to do from day one because of- wow. How you use that, how one, how you wrote the job description and second, how you used it in in the selection process. And I think that I think just asking people like how how clear do you feel? It's always this is my last step when I sit down with somebody before I extend them an offer is I sit down with the job description and I say, like, let's get between us. Let's get all of the ambiguity out of this so that you and I are both 100 percent certain about how you're going to do what you're going to do and and where you're going to go and and how you feel about it. I
1: I really like that approach. And and as you were saying that, I was thinking about when I was uh, a teenager uh, and I saw this commercial about the army, be all you can be, you know, and it says, (laughs) we do more uh, uh, by 6 a.m. or by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. And I say, you know what? I'm out because <laughs> I, I, I like to sleep in. I like my sleep. That's I, I thought that I, I'm thinking that's a really good example of an outcome oriented job uh description because it's telling you the outcome um and it and and by seeing that at the time I'm thinking nope that's not me so I'm selected out of self-select myself. And you
0: and to build on that example Jim, you know everybody fits somewhere. Not, you know, everybody doesn't fit everywhere, but everybody fits Somewhere. And we've had this giant information asymmetry barrier in our way where, like, I, you know, it's unclear to me to a certain extent where I'm going to fit in. As from if we get out of the company mindset for a second and get into the candidate mindset, think about like the dearth of tools that Mm. are available for candidates to really interview companies. You just Mm. don't get that chance. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it, now putting the company hat back on, if I'm present to that, I want to try and get rid of that as much of that as I can. And clarity in that job description is one of the tools that I have to do that. I want the people who come in and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this job. I want them to be 100% committed. They can't do that without information.
1: So for the sake of that that one person, that one manager that's listening and he's thinking to himself or she's thinking to himself, you know what, this sounds really, really good, this outcome-oriented job description, I think is the way to go, or at least, uh, at least a way to experiment. Um, for that person, what are some things they should maybe look out for? They're going to transition from traditional to this outcome-oriented job description. What things should they, what pitfalls should they avoid, in your opinion?
0: Jim, I think the very first pitfall is one of mindset. So let's let's take a customer service position. And imagine I'm writing a traditional job description for a customer service person. Something that's probably going to appear as a bullet item in that is answer customer service calls. Now, let's say that I reframe that in terms of mindset. Well, I shift my mindset and I reframe it in terms of the ownership that I want that person to accept and and to take forward, right? So in an outcomes-oriented job description, I might frame that same concept as ensure 95% customer satisfaction rate. Now, look at look at the difference between the two. In the first one, I say answer calls. This is your task. You do that. The kind of person that goes in and does that is the kind of person that is within the confines of what I've said. Your job is answer the phone. But I flip that around and I say, your job is to get an outcome. That outcome is 95% success rate. Now, the person that takes that job, here's the ideal thing that I want out of that. I want that person to come to me and say, Scott, if that's what you want, you're not paying attention to the right stuff, man. You need to be, I need to be doing this, that, and the other. Hmm. And I go, yes, yes, hundred percent. You're right. That's the kind of relationship that we need to be building. And the job description, the way it's written, either is going to facilitate that and start us on that path, or it's going to hamper things. I'm going to either get a person that says, Hey, I'm ready to own that. You want 95%? I can produce 95%, maybe not on day one, but I can get there and I'm going to experiment with a bunch of tactics. In an outcome oriented job description, the tactics are left open. Now, remember, the manager is always the manager. The manager doesn't abdicate their right to say, mm, I don't want to invest in that. It's not a free for all, it's not the Wild West. But what we want to do is open up people's minds, our own included. And we want to be able to say, look, this is the end point we get there. Let's have a conversation about the best path that we can follow to get there. That's a partnership discussion. And so I think the biggest pitfall for a lot of both managers, those of us that have organizational responsibility for leading other people, and quite honestly, a lot of people in our profession, like we get locked into this. We've got to detail out exactly what we want you to do. Mm. And I challenge that. I just say, I I just think that's nonsense. I think what we got to start doing is saying, this is where we want to end up. Now let's have a conversation about how we're going to get there. The the end is not negotiable. We are getting to this end, but the means that we get there. Let's like let's have a debate.
1: Will, will that make the job descriptions shorter?
0: I don't know whether it, I, look, I think the, a, a really great job description actually is pretty long, but okay. I, I think it's long with purpose, right? And the way that we write in propulsion, the format that we use is just this. We have a, we have a statement about the responsibility that is connected to a business outcome. To make it really simple, your job is to increase revenue and profitability. It doesn't like it in the job description. We don't use numbers because the numbers are going to change just like the tactics are going to change. Sure. But your job responsibility doesn't change. Your job is increased revenue and profitability. Now, that sets us up for really good performance management because now the tactics that we use this month, this quarter, this half year, this year may vary, but they all should be able to be brought back to that job responsibility of increased revenue and profitability. Now, in the in the job description, we take that a step further. We say, okay, you could read a statement, increase revenue and profitability. I could read the same statement. Eight other people could read the same statement. Mm. And we could have 11 different opinions out of those 10 people about what that statement means. So, so what we do at Propulsion is we have that statement of responsibility that's connected to a business outcome. And then we have an allocation of time on, in general, we expect you're going to spend about 40% of your time doing this. And then we bullet out a handful of expectations. And the point of the expectations is simply to remove ambiguity. So back to the customer service example for a second. If I say your job is to achieve a 95% customer success rate, I may then bullet out as my expectations, you know, we expect you to resolve customer issues by providing exceptional service ensure that people always know that we care about the problem that they're they're facing and seek regular feedback about the contacts you're having with our customers, right? those those three points might clarify my expectation of how we're going to get to that 95% customer success rate. But what they don't do is tell you what to do.
1: Ah, I get it. I get it. I get it. And I think people listening are getting it too. And they probably want to see some examples. If they want to reach out to you, and take this conversation further and ask you questions about it? How can they find you online?
0: 100%. So first of all, our website is www.getpropulsion.ai. And what I would urge people is go sign up. This is a conversational AI tool that's underpinned by machine learning. It's driven, uh, 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 as I said, by, by artificial intelligence, guided by a digital human. It's almost impossible to make a mistake with this tool. And like I said, it takes this process and it's like it's like having a senior HR business partner or a senior recruiter working with you when and where you're ready. And it turns this thing into about the amount of time of a coffee break, seriously, to produce the job posting, the job description, social media posts, everything is SEO optimized and it all flows into your tech stack. If people want to reach out directly, scott.morris at getpropulsion.ai i'm super passionate about this i'm happy to coach for <laughs> free i'm happy to to offer whatever guidance and advice i can give to help make the community better
1: and i certainly can attest to your passion for your product <laughs> scott i thanks appreciate you. your time thanks for being on my podcast
0: hey man it's good to see you again thank you for the invite i've i've had a good time with you
1: Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you again real soon right here with a brand new episode of the Jim Stroud podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached by email at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And one last favor, if I may ask, please rate this podcast. Uh, Five stars is preferred, (laughs) but uh, please uh, comment uh, with your honest opinion. I really appreciate that. All right? Okay, until next time, bye-bye.
0: That's what